Welcome once again to our series of podcasts about MotoGP racing. Toby Moody and Simon Patterson here from the-race.com. Like and subscribe to these podcasts and we'll be bringing you podcasts about MotoGP, whether or not there's any racing or not, as we enter the summer of 2020. 2020 is essentially on hold, but what we're going to look forward to today in a bizarre way, is actually 2021. And specifically, we're going to focus on riders. Who's going to be where, with who, and what bike are they going to be on? This is the kind of stuff that keeps Simon over the moon. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, it's been quite busy over the last few weeks um it seems bizarre to be discussing rider negotiations and contracts and new signings whenever we haven't actually seen anyone on a motorbike in anger this year but yeah at the same time like you say it's also helping to uh, fill the pages at a time when things could be a little bit difficult um for the motor gp journalists to keep ourselves in scandal and controversy Oh, I'm sure you're pretty good at that, though, aren't you? <laughs> I'm sure you're pretty good. Uh, yeah. Well-practiced, let's say. Well-practiced, well-practiced, yes. We've all had a wigging now and again, but it's quite good fun when we get it right, isn't it? It is quite oh, good Oh, there's fun. no better feeling. There's no better feeling. So, yeah, um, obviously the way that contract negotiations work for us on the outside is sometimes we get announcements about the beginning of June, but this year we've had announcements way, way before the season has got underway. Specifically, let's start right at the top, shall we, with Mark Marquez. February this year, 2020, he announced a deal that would take him through to the end of the 2024 season with Honda. That's another five complete seasons that would then make it 10, 12 complete seasons with HRC. I remember when that news came out in February and I was just blown away. I mean, that is commitment from both sides because A, it would have been a lot of money from Honda and B, is Mark saying, that's it, I'm not going to ride for anybody else? I think he is. I think that's exactly what he's saying. I think he is making himself a Honda rider the way that, say, McDoon made himself a Honda rider. Um, He has decided that everyone who thinks that you need to win on two different bikes to be a worthy champion can go stuff themselves. He's making a big statement. He's saying that he's happy where he is. He's saying that he loves the crew that he's built around him. And let's be honest, not everyone is going to let him rock up to a new team and take five or six or seven or eight people with him. Um, and his team are like his family. So he's got that core around him and he's not going to shake it. And like you said, from what I can gather from reading between the lines, it is the biggest money deal that we've ever seen in Grand Prix racing by a considerable factor. I've got a bit of a saying about deals and finances for riders is that there's only six people in the world who know three people on both sides the manager the rider you know the 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 bank manager and on the honda side it would be the uh, team principal it would be the bank manager and the lawyer that's sort of about it but what kind of money do you think mark might be on or what deal or how big is it in MotoGP? From what I've heard, obviously, like you say, we're never going to get a true representation. 
Um, and first, first of all, actually, let's put it in context a little bit. We think that Jorge Lorenzo, when he went to Ducati, when he was stolen away from uh, Yamaha, was earning about 12 million euros a year. From what I've heard, Mark's four-year deal is worth close to 100 million euros. 25 million euros a year. That's not including win bonuses either. Championship bonuses, personal sponsorship. It is a colossal amount of money. It's the first time we've ever seen a MotoGP deal that rivals a Formula One deal, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, in his pomp, Schumacher was reportedly on $25 million. Uh, but that was, of course, 2004, 2005, which is all of a sudden 15 years ago. <laughs> um, but, you know, he is he is the best in the world. He's won six of the last seven MotoGP World Championships. He is something else. We've, we've touched on it before, Simon. You know, we never thought that we would see somebody knocking on the door of Valentino Rossi. Uh, landmarks, history, statistics. And Rossi hasn't even finished and there's somebody that could potentially beat him. He's, he's on another planet. It, for me, it isn't even that he's won six out of the last seven. It's that he's won six out of his seven championships in MotoGP. Yeah, same you know, same he, difference. Yeah, rookie title. He's been beaten once. It's incredible. Um, he, he is something else, and Honda recognised that, and they've made a. You've got to think it's a smart investment. You know, they, they it's the old double edged sword of MotoGP, isn't it? The problem that Honda face isn't just that if they let him go, they won't have Mark Marquez. It's that someone else will have Mark Marquez, and if he is as unbeatable as he looks at the minute then what you're doing is ensuring that you're going to get beaten for four years. So why not just keep him? And if he wants a lot of money to keep? Well, I'm a big believer of if you gave somebody 12 million a year, you'd have another 13 million in the bank. If you had an average rider, but you had 13 extra million in the bank to spend on the bike... Would you make 13 million quids worth of bits to make the bike go half a second, three quarters of a second quicker than you would by spending the money with Mark? Every single time, no, you wouldn't. It, no, you wouldn't. That's the bloke who makes the difference. And the return on your investment is probably even less now than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago, whenever you could afford test riders riding for eight hours a day, 360 days a year. Now that testing is so limited, there's only so much you can physically do. You know, 120 sets of tyres each every factory gets for their test riders every year. That's not a lot of outings. Mm, it's not a lot. It's not a lot. But it is gargantuan money. I mean, Stoner turned down, you know, was it was it 13? Was it 12? It was around that area. Apparently, it's only rumour and gossip. He turned down that kind of money at the end or the middle of 2012 when he said, right, I'm retiring. And, you know, Livio at the time just shook his head and he said, you know, why does he turn that kind of money down? You know, well, that's easy for us to say because we're never going to earn that kind of money. It's just on another money. <laughs> and, and, yeah. uh, but um, that's a big step to, yeah, double double the offer in eight or nine years. But 
I, I, I quite like the fact that he's just said, do you know what, I'm going to stick here. And as you said, I'm going to do a Mick. You know, Mick never rode another Grand Prix bike. He rode Honda from the beginning to the end. And he would have actually, arguably, continued on longer than, than the spring of 1999 when he fell off and ultimately uh, curtailed his career at Hareth. So was there another, were there another couple of championships in Mick? Yeah, probably easily. Yeah, um, but there's there's no there's no extra award, is there, for winning a championship on a another bike? It's nice, but they don't give you a trophy. No, that's it. That's it. And you know, in in, in we know that MotoGP riders have short careers, relatively. There's a lot to be said for building a reputation or building a, a relationship with a brand that you can carry forward into retirement. You know, you look at. Um, Neil Hudson is still the only journalist to ride a factory MotoGP bike in the last 10 years. And why? Because he was a factory Ducati rider for five years and they still love him in Bologna. You know, those relationships exist way long into retirement. Um, and we've kind of, we've not really seen anyone really build one of those relationships with a manufacturer in the, you know, in recent years. Well, if I could jump in, you know, Ago is MV. Yeah. Um, Valentino is is now Yamaha. I struggle to see him breaking. Yeah, but normally when you see Agostini these days at a Grand Prix, he's in Yamaha clothing in their hospitality. Because <laughs> so... there's no MV, that's why. <laughs> oh, there is now. We've got an MV in Moto2. I know what forget. you're saying. But he isn't right. hanging around forward racing, is he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you know what I'm saying, and I know what you're saying. I do. Absolutely, yeah, I absolutely. Do. Yeah, if you, if you, you know, you do get into bed with a manufacturer whether or not it's in four wheels or, or or two wheels then you you get a free bike and you get a free car every six months you know what's wrong with that um so yeah um mark marquez you know a done deal alongside him in the garage he's got his brother alex uh, he's yet to do his first moto gp race in real life he's done a virtual one on the computer screen but a, a real one he's yet to do one but He's on a one-year deal. I was actually quite surprised the other way that it was only a one-year deal. It depends for me on how much you believe the rumours of, oh, Mark Marquez clearly got his brother a MotoGP ride. Um, in one hand, I, for, I should start by stating I don't think that Mark had a huge influence in it. I think Honda needed a rider to put in the second Repsol bike and they looked at who hadn't signed a contract or who they could get out of a contract and they signed the reigning Moto2 world champion. You know, they didn't sign him because he's Mark's brother. But they did sign him at a stage in the year when they probably wouldn't have signed him had they went looking in May. So I think what has happened is he's got a one-year deal because he was a very late addition to the team. He got a one-year deal because they weren't 100% sure whether or not he was going to make it as a Repsol Honda level MotoGP rider. So they did what was smart for Honda. The problem Alex has is now, after only having a few tests to show his potential on, is that it might not have been a very smart move for Alex whenever it comes to looking at 2021 and beyond. Because he is now in a position where he hasn't signed a deal and he can't show that he's going to be good, basically. Okay, being devil's advocate, he's just in the same position as he was this time last year then. Yeah, 
essentially, except that Honda now are in a position where they've got 20 riders to pick from rather than one or two because they're not scrabbling to fill the Jorge Lorenzo I'm going to retire at Valencia hole. They're starting when everyone else is starting, basically. Mm. Honda have, of course, seen his data. Yes. They have seen um, Sepang, Qatar data uh, with a bit of Valencia on top of that. But, yeah. Um, hmm, interesting, interesting. One thing that will work in his favour, from what I can understand about how Honda is currently thinking is that they've very much taken their foot off the gas. They signed Mark. They got their number one rider. And every other Honda rider has kind of been put in the back burner a little bit now while we're not racing, while there's no pressure to sign anyone else because they know that they're safe for four years. So maybe that'll work in Alex's favour. Give him a little bit of time. You know, maybe Honda are actually in no rush to sign anyone, either to keep him or to replace him. Maybe they're happy to wait until there are a few races before uh, it has to get to that point. Okay, so let's ping on to the other works Honda rider, Cal Crutchlow. His deal ends at the end of this year, 2020. There was a bit of rumour and gossip that this was going to be his last year, but now he says he wants to continue. Maybe he's not happy that this season won't be a full season. Maybe he wants to finish his career with a full season in 2021. But here and now... There's no deal done at the moment. He he has been adamant for a while that this wasn't going to be his last season. Um, Even before we knew it was going to be a short one. I think the first time he, he outright told me that he was going to stay on was getting off the plane in Kuala Lumpur heading for the Sepang test. That was sort of the first point where he said, ah, look, I think I'm going to stick around for another one. um, For another two. So he's, he's going to do his two more years at least. Um, whether or not he does them with Honda, I don't know. I think there's other people interested in Cal. I think that he's going to be talking to other people, definitely. And we know that Cal is very much his own man and likes things done Cal's way. If Honda are dragging their feet and someone else comes along with a good offer, he might just at least use it to put an awful lot of pressure on HRC. HRC don't like being put under pressure by their riders, and suddenly the whole thing comes to head and Cal Crutchlow is riding for someone else. It wouldn't surprise me. So where might he go? Well, let's look down the grid and see where there's options. Um, most of the factory bikes are filled, but there's an Aprilia left. There's also KTMs, potentially, if uh, some of the rumours that we'll talk about in a little bit about Paul Espigaro are right. Um, and you know, there's fact, there's satellite factory options that wouldn't be terrible. You know, Cal's, Cal's world or Cal's team manager when he won his sole world championship in the world supersport championship was of course, Wilco Zielenberg, who's now the team manager at Petronish Yamaha. And we know what Cal can do in a Yamaha. So I think there's, there's plenty of options for him if he decided that he wanted to talk to some other people. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. He's his own manager, isn't he not? Yeah, he's got a few people who help out, but he does most of his negotiating himself. Mm, mm, mm. Interesting, interesting. Uh, alongside Cal in that LCR garage is uh, is Nakagami. He's got a deal until the end of this season, 2020, which personally I believe will happen in some shape or form. But that's another yeah, discussion. That's everybody. another story. Please, <laughs> please just bear with us a moment. 
Um, Dawn are working hard and it's an unenviable task. I dread to think what they're going through. But Nakagami's deal ends at the end of 2020 at LCR. You know, he's the Japanese favourite. He's That's the Japanese flag for the Japanese Honda HRC squads. Um, they like that. Uh, I get it. If there was a Triumph MotoGP team, there'd be a Brit in it, yeah, wouldn't there? Exactly. You know, it's in the script. Exactly. Um, exactly. Ducati have an Italian. It's in the script. So um, one can't blame them for, for passport waving. Uh, <laughs> we would do exactly the same as Brits. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, he probably would. He probably doesn't have a manager and he'd certainly do as he's told, I imagine. Yeah. Plus, I think at the tail end of last year, he had a little bit of a run of form. He showed a little bit more potential than he has shown in recent seasons. And I think, you know, if we were in a position right now to sign a contract without seeing him race, I'd say he'd probably done enough last season down his spot. Especially with, like you say, the Passport, the Honda Links, the fact that he comes with uh, a healthy Japanese sponsor to a team that's always looking for sponsorship. Um, you know, th there's lots of factors for having Taka in the team. Um, I think his problem really is that um, that's not going to last forever. You look at the Moto3 grid in particular at the minute, how many fast Japanese kids there are on it. All of a sudden, there's been this sort of, you know, s surge of Japanese talent. Um, but I think Taka will probably get two more years before they're ready to challenge him for a MotoGP mm, spot. And again, I always look at LCR with those two riders and 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 Cecchinello squad and go fair play, Lucio Cecchinello. He started the team before he'd finished Grand Prix racing as a one-two-five racer. Uh, won an Italian Grand Prix on his own bike in his own team. Got the lap record at Mugello riding his own bike in his own team whilst riding and being a team manager and held the lap record for years afterwards. Fair, fair play to him. He's a wheeler dealer in a lovely way. There's always a bit of cloak and dagger. <laughs> There's always that last couple of percent in the deal that you're not sure of. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. I do admire him. <laughs> I have to say, fair play. Yeah. And they're a friendly bunch and a happy bunch and it's a nice environment to be in. It's a friendly hospitality. Yeah, he runs a good team. I think a lot of people would be weary to walk away from it. So those are the two Honda teams. Let's look to Yamaha next, shall we? And let's come on to the big question that everybody wants to to know the answer to. <laughs> if we look at the works Yamaha squad, the monster Yamaha MotoGP team, at the moment, they've got Valentino Rossi. They've got Maverick Vinales. Rossi, 41 years old. Here we are in the 2020 season. He started in Grand Prix in uh, March 1996 in 125. He said the other day, without races, to then decide for 2021 is harder. Does he have to decide before we have our potential first MotoGP race in late July this year. Is there a deadline that Yamaha have given him? Because in a normal world, by late July, we've had eight, nine races. At the moment, we're going to have zero. Um, where are things with the big man? So I've done a bit of digging around in this recently and had a really good talk with uh, Patronus boss, Razlan Rosali. And... Because, so Patronas still very much see themselves as the feeder team for Yamaha. 
they see themselves as the developer of new talent. The way that they've picked up Fabio Quadraro, turned him into a consistent podium finisher, and then chucked him to the factory team. That's the model that they want to replicate in the future. But they're also aware that if Valentino Rossi comes to them and says, can I have a ride? They don't really have a choice. So what that means for Rossi is that because Patronus want another up-and-coming talent, if they can't have Rossi, they also want to wait and see who starts to show a bit of form in Moto2 this season, whenever it kicks off, before they sign someone. So while he wants a few races under their belt, so do they. It's actually worked out pretty perfectly for him this year. From from speaking to Razland, there's no interest in signing someone who's already in MotoGP. They want to pick their Moto2 rider. They want to bring them up. You know, the the only other name he mentioned uh, with regards to 2021 rider lineup to me, apart from Rossi, was Xavi Vierge, who's riding the team's Moto2 bike. Um, so I think, yeah, I think Rossi has got lucky really probably even luckier than if we'd started on time and had eight or nine races and someone now was pestering him to sign a contract he's a bit more free time but if you got rossi knocking on your door you don't say i'll take a bit of a punt with a mother two rider who okay okay let's let's word that another way shall i can i who pays the wages for the riders at patronus Right now, Patronus pay the Patronus wages, but Yamaha have said that they will support Valentino Rossi in whatever way he needs to keep him in as a part of the Yamaha setup for 2021. So they'll top up the difference. I would imagine that they'll either top up the difference or they'll outright pay his deal and they'll give him factory bikes and Patronus might save a few quid by not having to pay the full lease fee because Patronus are giving them, or Yamaha are giving them the machinery they need all sorts of ways that it won't actually cost them all that much money. In fact, it might even cost them less than hiring a Moto2 rider. It might cost them less, and every sticker on that bike and every person paying for that sticker will be over the moon because it's got 46 on the front. It's a win-win. Exactly. It's a utter exactly. win-win. And particularly Absolutely. in Southeast Asia, with the amount of fans who go to Sepang, who go to the Tiger Grand Prix, I mean, you know, they've got Valentino Rossi in their team, in adverted commas. It is the Southeast Asia team. And I think that's a wonderful fairy tale. I think it's fantastic. Of course it is. You know, what, what we know what Indonesia in particular is already like for bike racing, as well as Thailand and, and Malaysia, that would just, you know, it just, would just launch it stratospheric. It's a whole other level. And, you know, I hope there are people listening to this podcast from that part of the world. But for those of you who haven't been to that part of the world to see a Grand Prix, you think Mugello's busy. <laughs> it's another level. It's another level. <laughs> and it's wonderful to see a celebration of sport with MotoGP, with the amount of fans there. It's a religion out there. It's fantastic. In 2018, when we went to Buriram for the first time to test, I think it was 2018. It was genuinely busier than some race weekends in Europe. They had live music, they had fireworks, they had bands, they had uh, sort of NEC show style huge fan area set up by all the sponsors. And that was just for the test. And then you go back for the race and there's 300,000 people descend on a town of 30,000. And the paddock is, you know, there's 24-7 live entertainment, there's Thai boxing, there's everything. It is... An awesome event. And you need to see it. I've seen some 
pictures and footage of the live big screen TV setups that they have in that part of the world to watch a European race, which of course is in an Asian yes. evening. And there's and, yes. the, and there's 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 uh, merchandise yeah. stores around the edge just to watch a big screen. You know, it's it's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. And they're getting thousands and thousands of people to town squares. Yeah, don't go around to your mate's house. Go to the town square. It's yeah. fantastic. Just <laughs> go to the town square. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It must be the only must be the only place in the world outside of Tavulia where that actually happens. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, super stuff. So yeah, so. Oh. None of us wants him to retire because we're sort of hanging on to all of those memories. Uh, he hasn't won a Grand Prix since Assen 2017. Hasn't been on the podium since Texas last year off the top of my head. Um, so he wants to finish off on his terms. You and I have touched on this before in a previous podcast with the Race Motor GP podcast on how he could sign off, but you know, uh, you've got to win a race and say ciao at the time. And that's not easy <laughs> to beat all these other little terriers who are who are, who are are trying to get there first. So um, I think it's a perfect fit. I think it's a perfect fit. Between you and I, because no one else might be listening, I think the colour scheme <laughs> on that Patronus Yamaha is pretty cool. I'd have a bit more green on it, and I think it's a really cool kind of setup. Uh, for me, I like it a lot more than the the majority black of the works Yamaha I think it's brilliant there's a few uh, a few photoshops floating around that people have made of a, a neon yellow 46 in the front of it it looks yeah it looks yeah, cool that works looks cool that works <laughs> <laughs> looks very cool yeah 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 so obviously Quattararo is on that bike at the moment but he has yeah. been confirmed for 2021 to go to the works Yamaha seat taking Valentino Rossi's uh, machine it's a no-brainer it had to happen yeah I think Yamaha would have been I don't want to say foolish foolish isn't quite the right word but they would have been uh, it wouldn't have been very future thinking to not have signed up a talent like Quattararo whenever you already have him in your stable and when he wants to stay you know, uh, he had offers from the red manufacturer in Bologna. They wanted him to come and ride their bike. And he said no to stay with Yamaha, which is, uh, I would imagine there was quite a bit more cash coming with the Bologna deal. So for him to want to stay, that's something you cherish. You know, you make that decision. And if it means that you have to get rid of, you know, your most successful rider in history. But you're sort of not getting rid of him because he's he's only going next door. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. They've they've sort of found a yeah. way to keep him. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean. And and for Quattararo, he may well have turned down the big money now. He won't be on two hundred and fifty grand and a slab of beer at, at Works Yamaha. You know, he'll be on pretty decent money. He can take the mega, mega money in a couple of years' time. He's twenty one. Yeah. You know? Well, it, it, his his salary is increasing, from what I've understood anyway, his salary is increasing by a factor of 10. <laughs> and he's not on terrible money where he is. So it's it's still a fairly healthy deal, you know? Like, how many millions do you really need? <laughs> 21 years old, and you... Oh, dear. Uh, I just I just can't imagine it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we can only dream, We can only we? dream, but my goodness me, he's very talented, so he deserves it. Oh, yeah. And one thing I'll say about Fabio is that um, he probably won't be um, 
you know, some of it will go in the bank, but he won't be putting it into shares and investments the way Danny Pedroza was. There'll be supercars and nice trips and, you know, he's 21 and he knows how to enjoy his life. Fair play to him. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. Uh, alongside him for 2021 will be Maverick Vinales, who, you know, did win last year. Um, he had to stay. He would have been foolish. I will use the word foolish if he had left that works Yamaha seat. Uh, he's got the foundation there. He knows how it works. He can walk into that garage for the first race that we will eventually have in 2020. Hand in glove. It fits. It works. No brainer. Yeah, agreed. Um, Maverick Maverick 2.0 this year is very different from the past. He's a lot more mature. He's a lot more involved in development. He's a lot more open to criticism from within the team that he maybe was a bit hot-headed about in the past. So I think he's a better package all round. The bike is a better package all round. And, you know, let's be honest, worst case scenario for Maverick is that he can be in the position that Jorge Lorenzo found himself in in 2015, where Maverick or uh, Mark Marquez has a bad year and Yama have a good year and he's a champion. You know, that's the worst case scenario for him as far as I'm concerned. I'm not by any means saying he doesn't have the ability to win in his own terms because he does, but... You've got to beat Marquez. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> a slight problem. Doable, as you say. Yeah, it is doable, it is doable. You need a bit of luck, but, you know... If you're you're going to have more chance of having luck staying where you are than leaving. Let's put it that way. Um, trying to reinvent the wheel isn't going to help. Uh, isn't going to help him find the form that he's lost, is it? So completing the Yamaha circle is Franco Morbidelli, who at the moment is on the Patronus Yamaha alongside Quattararo. Tipped to stay is the latest I've heard. I can't think that's going to change. Yeah, sounds like the team, uh, from speaking to the team, they're happy to keep him. He's happy to stay. Um, you know, his performance last year, if Fabio Quadraro hadn't have been there, we would have been singing Frankie's praises. He did a really solid job last year. It was unlucky to miss out on the podium a couple of times. Um, and I think Patronus won't want to reinvent the wheel and replace both riders at once whenever, you know, Frankie is still young and talented. And and let's be honest, Valentino Rossi would quite like his best mate as his teammate, wouldn't he? Certainly would. Certainly would. Uh, yeah, you know, Moto2 world champion alongside you, then that's uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I say that Morbidelli closes the Yamaha circle. And I correct myself because what does Lorenzo do? If anyone has been caught out uh, and left high and dry by coronavirus more than anyone else, it's Jorge Lorenzo. You know, we it's uh, Thursday, the 4th of June at 20 to 5 in the afternoon. I should have been standing in the back of the press conference room at Barcelona waiting for a Thursday MotoGP press conference that I'm sure he was going to be sitting in before making his first appearance as a Yamaha wildcard tomorrow. You know, that obviously isn't happening. He won't get any chance this year to be a wild card because they've they've uh, cut all wild cards to limit the amount of people in the paddock. So I think realistically what we're going to see is him spending another year as a Yamaha test rider, making his three race appearances, um, signing some autographs here and there, but he won't be back in the MotoGP grid. Which I will caveat by saying I'm not entirely sure is what he wanted anyway. 
I think he wanted to do his wild cards to see if he wanted to be a MotoGP rider again. So maybe without actually having those wild cards to gauge, he's going to find himself saying, you know what? Not really. I, I'm not missing anything anyway. Yeah, yeah. It really so, just gives you double the amount of time and another 12 months to realise, do you know what? I'll go and buy another Pagani Zonda. <laughs> well, there is that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, because he can and he deserves yeah. it because he's a three-time yeah. MotoGP yeah. world champion. Exactly. Uh, five-time total with a couple of 250s. You know, he's a hell of a talent. Yeah. Um, and as you say, the whole C19 thing has has hit him the worst. And I feel a bit sorry for him because of that, uh, because of, uh, of that hiccup that's prevented him from putting his leg over a bike pretty well full stop. Yeah, Um you know, you say you feel sorry for him, but then you see him post on Instagram about, will I take the LaFerrari or the Zonda? Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. It, quickly, yeah. it quickly disappears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As I, I have a phrase, and one of the riders will be listening to this, so they'll probably text me, but never feel sorry for them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. Well, we, we know dokey. after our last podcast that Jorge listens in. Yes, we do indeed. We do indeed. Uh, we do indeed. Okay, um, let's move on to Works Ducati, the red Ducatis, as you call them. Davizioso took the title fight to Mark Marquez right until the very last race in 2017. He's there. He's a fighter. He's been around the block, though. He will not have the fight of a 21-year-old a la Quattararo in him. That's just life. But he's the quickest man that Ducati have got. Uh, his deal ends at the end of 2020. Again, he's got to continue for continuity's sake. But where is he going to continue? Because we know that Ducati want him. But if we listen to the rumours, Ducati also want to pay him less money. Um, we know that the European manufacturers will be harder hit by coronavirus. We know that they will be looking to save some cash. But we also know that there is an offer from KTM that comes with quite a bit more money. And they would quite like him to go and ride their bike. So what does he do? For me, there's no huge loyalty. Um, we know that he's had a bit of a rocky relationship over the past uh, seasons with a few people within Bologna. We know that he, the rather complicated circumstances that saw him take his uh, sign his contract alongside Jorge Lorenzo meant that he took a bit of a pay cut there. So he maybe feels a bit undervalued, maybe feels a bit unlistened to, maybe feels a bit like... He's not the favourite son because they still had to hire Lorenzo in to try and win the title. And it's probably his last contract at 34 years of age. So maybe, you know, he thinks it's time to secure the retirement, time to get the pension in the bank. I'll go and ride a KTM for two years and earn an extra three, four, five million euros. Mm -hmm. And a bit of focus has been taken off Dovi if he stayed in 2021, because Works Ducati have signed Jack Miller. Yes. You have to believe that will work. Will he rush away with the World Championship in the first year? You never know, but I can't see it. But he won't be slow. No, 
Absolutely. Um, I think what Giacchetti have done quite well with Jack is they've secured someone who's young, who's fast, who's hungry, who will quite like to stay with them for quite a while. And I think that he's almost their, he's not their anti-Marquez, he's their post-Marquez strategy. He's the guy that's still going to be four or five years younger than Mark whenever he's in his third or fourth year of his HRC contract. He's going to be this guy that's still hungry when Mark's in his third or fourth year. So Jack is the future. But what Jack also is, and this is uh, the problem for Davi perhaps, Jack is not going to be the teammate that Danilo Petrucci has been to Davi, where oh, his job, yeah, you know, yeah. his job was to be the number two rider. He knew that. He was working with Davi, training with Davi, strategizing with Davi. Davi won't get that with Jack. He'll get a crazy, mad, excitable Aussie who only wants to go fast and win races. Totally. Totally. Yeah, it's... Um... I'm gonna do it my way, um, <laughs> isn't it? You know, you know. Yeah, it, of course. It, it's, it's WG, it's Stoner, it's Bayliss, it's Miller. Yeah. You know, they are so similar, aren't they? Yeah. Mick, that they are so similar. Yeah. And look at the success that all of those names had. So down to you, Jack. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. But you know, if they believe in him, and they do, because they've signed a deal. Um, that's going to be fantastic. That's going to be electrifying because he'll want to win every lap. And that's great <laughs> to see, isn't it? It's great <laughs> yeah. to see. Might be his downfall at a couple of races, but over a season, it'll give us fantastic entertainment. What, what we're gradually seeing from Jack, and I think this is why he's got himself a Ducati factory deal, is that Jack has always wanted to win every lap of every race. But that generally resulted in him pushing, leading and crashing out after four laps. But then it became, as he started to mature, it was 10 laps before he crashed out. And then it was 15 laps before he crashed out. Um, now he's on the verge of being a consistent, you know, he, he was a consistent podium finisher in the second half of last season. He is making the progress. And there are a few extra tenths that come from being a factory rider in a factory team with 20 technicians and 100 engineers who will build the bike for you rather than you being given the bike that was built for Davi. Yeah, it, it is very close to being there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it must, it must be a wonderful feeling going to a works team. And, oh, can you do that yeah. for me? Yep. Yeah. Jeremy Burgess, if the rider wants gold handlebars. Yep. <laughs> uh, or as Julian used to say brilliantly, you don't even have to do your own shoelaces up. <laughs> I won't steal it from him because it's a cracker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, mm, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. You know, they, they, they did go through, what was it, seven years of not winning anything between the end of Stoner and that one victory for Iannone in Austria yeah, in 2016. But, yeah. And they're better than they were. They did go through the doldrums. They did get lost, but they, they've they got to make it work. But again, they've got to climb the Marquez Mountain, and it's a big one. It's a big of one. Of course. So, yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, obviously, Miller is leaving Pramac Ducati. There's a hole there next year. Jorge Martin will be his replacement. Uh, I've always thought he's mega quick. I, he is quite something else. I've I've had my eye on him for quite a while. He is um, he is insanely fast over one lap. He's Mr. Pole Position quite. in Moto3. He is a very, very intelligent guy. 
He is very good at his race craft, his strategy. You know, he won a lot of Moto, Moto3 races by sitting second to fifth for 25 laps and then being first in lap 26. And on everything else aside as well, he's friendly, he's chatty, he's personable, he's PR savvy. I think he has everything it need that's needed to be a factory rider. I think that is coming and has been for a while. And, you know, Pramac is the probably the easiest route to be in a factory rider in MotoGP. When you look at, you know, Ian O'Neill, Petrucci and now Miller, it's what they do. They make riders for, for the factory team. Yeah, the Tech 3 Yamaha worked very well. And, of course, that's now Patronus yes. Yamaha. There is a way in. There is a way in. There but is. I know what you're there saying. Is. I know what you're yeah. saying. I know what you're saying. Uh, Banyaya probably alongside him. Yeah, I think he, he did enough at the tail end of last year as well. Um, he had a bit of a slow start in his rookie season, but he started to find his feet. And Pramac are not the sort of team to take a young Italian rider, give him one season and say, no thanks, you're not for us. No, that's just not how the nature of that team works. So closing out Ducati, we touched on Davizioso potentially going to the works Red Bull KTM squad for 2021. Wow, that would be pretty cool. Davizioso does have a Red Bull link. That was re-established in the middle of 2017. It was actually a deal done at the Mugello Grand Prix, and he got on the podium. So they were very happy. <laughs> they got their money's worth straight away with the drinks bottle yeah. and the helmet. Yeah, I remember him appearing in the drinks bottle on the podium with the drinks bottle, and everyone was like, oh, when did that happen? Oh, <laughs> you've done a deal. You've yeah. done a deal. So, yeah, there is there is a deal. And, of course, he comes with HRC experience. He was a Repsol Honda works rider in MotoGP. He's done the same at Ducati. He was at Tech 3 for so many years. There's a lot of experience that that Dovizioso could bring to Red Bull KTM. And when you look at KTM and how they operate, they like collecting experience. You know, Danny Pedrosa is not their test rider for nothing. They like bringing in those people that have been around for a long time. They're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You know, they've got their Mike Leitners. They've got really hugely experienced people. And I think Dovi would fit right into that. They're very much, you know, they wouldn't be signing him to win the title for them. They'd be sending him to lay the groundwork for winning the title for the next. Yeah, yeah. Um, they just need that experience. You know, there's limited testing, as we've touched on already. Uh, you know, can you imagine yeah. the amount of uh, what's bigger than gigabytes? Terabytes. terabytes. Bigger than yeah. terabytes. Something else. Pentabytes. That HRC and Yamaha have compared with KTM. It is just massive. And the shortcut is is experience, as you've touched on. Brad Binder is on a one-year deal at the moment, I believe, at Red Bull KTM. We haven't seen him race yet. I'm dying to see him race because I think he's mega. I think he's absolutely mega quick. He says it how it is. Um, spade to spade. That's it, mate. Uh, anybody who can win a race from the back of the grid brilliant which is what he did at Hareth on a motor three so yeah he he's a boy he's a boy therefore if you've got a polis bargaro and a binder and a potentially a davizioso well there's only two chairs there well there's lots of rumors floating around about paul uh i've heard him linked to taking dovi's seat doing a straight swap going to ducati and i've heard him linked to alex marquez's seat in the repsol honda garage I think Paul Paul has spent an awful lot of his career on bikes that aren't 
maybe at his level. He's a very talented writer. He's a very analytical writer, very intelligent writer. Uh, there's a lot of teams would quite like, you know, to, to, to have him on board. And, you know, you look at somewhere like Repsol, and it, it is probably an outside bet, but would he be... Would he be an alternative to Danny Pedroza? Would he be a second safe set of hands to work with Mark Marquez to test things for Mark to develop and to be, you know, regularly popping up on the podium? Yeah, probably. He wouldn't be a test rider. No, no, but he'd in be my, testing. In my opinion. He'd be testing for Mark. You know, Mark, you concentrate on what you're doing. Paul, here's a new chassis for you to try this weekend. Let us know if it's good enough for Mark's bike. I can't see him doing that. I know what you're saying, but I've worked alongside him in the team. I can't. He just wants to get that win, that flipping win. You just want to get that win because although Rep, although Red Bull KTM are a works team, there's HRC, there's Yamaha, and there's Ducati that win the races at the moment. And Suzuki, no. Um, with with yeah. Suzuki, forgive me, with Suzuki, but you just want to. Just want that trophy, just to say you've done it. The other two, the other two aren't yeah. there yet. It, it's not their fault. It's just time. Mm, exactly, exactly. With regards to to the Austrian squad, uh, and and is that time going to be longer than his career? Well, maybe he's another one looking at the current situation and thinking that it works in his favour. We know that the factory bikes yeah. uh, development is being frozen. They'll race twenty twenty machinery in twenty twenty one. But a pretty young KTM with a concession status can still develop away, and maybe he Correct. thinks that's a year closer to being a race winning motorbike. Maybe that's enough to keep him there. Good call. Good call. Yeah, 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 yeah. The spec freeze. Yeah, I think buys that, that, you another twelve months. Yeah, it does. Hmm. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. You got <laughs> me there. Well done. Well done. I hadn't thought of that. I'm yeah. currently currently waiting to hear back and when I can. Uh, when I can have a conversation with uh, Mr. Rivela at Aprilia about just that topic that will be on the race as soon as uh, we get a time to speak about it. But I'm quite curious to hear his thoughts on mm. it, actually. Very good, very good. Uh, Miguel Oliveira, he did 2019 at Tech 3 KTM. Uh, he thought that he would be elevated into the works Red Bull KTM squad for this year, 2020, but Binder pipped him. He was obviously rather narked, poor old Miguel. He's a very gentle soul, and he's a he plays with a straight bat. And I think he's a wonderful, wonderful human being. But he was he was hurt by that. But he's got to roll with it. Well, from what I can understand, it was maybe a little bit his own fault. Uh, KTM came to him and said, "We've got a spot in the factory team for next year. Do you want it?" And he said, "Well, you know, I'm quite happy where I am." The spec of the bike isn't going to be any different because I'm getting all the development work. I like my team. Maybe we should not upset the apple cart for the season. And then KTM went and signed his great rival from Moto2 and Moto3, Brad Binder. And I think it's more who they signed rather than the fact that they signed someone else. That, Somebody uh, else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Riders' brains, yeah. eh? <laughs> well, yes, they are. They're a different species, different species. Um, and that's why they're quicker on MotoGP bikes than any of us. But <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah. so he's uh, he's with Tech 3. Will he continue? Yeah. My hunch uh, is yes. Hervé Poncheral has told me that he wants to keep both his riders. Okay, so that includes Lecuo. Um, obviously, Iker Lacona. Iker has, is in the rather unusual position of being a rookie this season, but we have seen him race. 
he did that wild card at Valencia at the end of last year. He was impressive enough. You know, he didn't embarrass himself. Um, and I think that, that you know, Hervey likes him. He's super, super young. He's only 20. Even younger than Quadraro. So uh, I think he's safe as he well. safe. Okay, that's the quartet of KTMs. Let's hop back to Japan and Suzuki. Juan Mir signed, done deal. Yes. Uh, is this going to be a short conversation about Suzuki? Because it's all done. Um, <laughs> Renz and Mir both signed the by far the sensible options. Uh, Davide Brivio told me that they started the conversation with uh, Renz this time last year. Late April, actually, last year. They signed the, started the conversation with Mir mid-July. Both riders got offered big money from Ducati to go there. Both riders said, no thanks, I'd rather stay with my substantially less of a salary and be a regular race winner. Um, Mir thinks there is no such thing as a number two rider in that team anymore, now that he's had his rookie season under the belt. Um, I've spent a lot of time talking to his crew chief, who, as you will know very well, is a British guy by the name of Frankie Carchetti. There was a very deliberate strategy not to go crazy in year one. They knew what they were doing. It was all about learning. It was all about going slow. Then the bikes had a technical problem and spat him off at uh, Bruno at the test. And he lost a lot more of the year than most people know because he damaged his injury. He damaged his lungs, couldn't breathe properly, really struggled in the heat of the flyaways, etc., etc. He is, I think there's something special about him as well. And I think Suzuki were very right to keep him in place. And uh, I am... Um, one of the biggest disappointments of this year is not seeing what he would have done at Qatar. Mm, very true. Because he would have surprised people. Yeah, And Rins at Texas, of course, because he won there last year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, exactly the same on the other side of the garage. Signing Rins was a no-brainer to Suzuki. And Silverstone, where the bikers already won twice. Yes. With two different With riders. Yales uh, and now Rins. Yeah. yeah so, mm, mm. Good little sort of underdog team. Absolutely. That, I, I hate to call them underdogs, but they are because they haven't got the budget. No, exactly. Of the Yamahas and the Hondas. Exactly. And Davide Brivio has done something really, really special there and created the only factory family team that I've ever seen in yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bizarre yeah, yeah. how close they are, how friendly they are. Um, you know, they've got Sylvain Gantoli floating around as test rider and wild card and both MotoGP riders love him and he loves working with both of them. It's just a really happy, friendly little setup. Okay, the Italian-based Suzuki team, that's closed off that part of this podcast, but well, let's stay in Italy and talk about Aprilia. Aprilia made huge changes over the winter and they've got a bike that we believe is a massive step up from where they have been over the past couple of MotoGP seasons. Alicia Spagaro wants to continue. Uh, I would say he would be unwise to step off that ship before he knows what the bike is really like. Uh, the team told me in Sepang that whenever he did his first five laps at the shakedown test before the official test, Alicia came back into the garage and cried with happiness. That's how much of an improvement that the bike is. He is so excited to get this season underway. 
Um, you know, we know that that bike is night and day better than it was last year. Um, and I think there's a there's a huge amount of mutual respect there because, you know, Alish has, um, what's the polite way to put this, seen many teammates in his time at Aprilia. And he has been the constant that has drove the development forward while they have chopped and changed. I would say he's been utterly loyal, utterly loyal yes. to them. And, yes. and they must recognize that if there are any yes. morals up and down the pit lane. Yeah, um, exactly. exactly. They must respect the time that he has spent tearing his mm -hmm. hair out. And also, as you say, crying with pride because finally yeah. he's got the fruits of his rewards with a bike yeah. for 2020. Yeah. The the only time I've heard Leash make an angry comment about anyone within the Aprilia setup over the course of the three and a half seasons now that he's been there was when Iannone stole credit for the improvements in the bike this winter. Yeah. That, that says it all, it really. It all. That's a man who is proud of his work. And of course, I've got a question mark on my sheet here for the other Aprilia rider, because actually here and now we don't have a second Aprilia rider for 2020 because Ian only got an 18 month ban that was backdated to December the 20, December the 17th, 2019, which means his ban will be lifted on June the 17th, 2021. So here and now for the first race that we may have in 2020 at the end of July at Jerez, I don't know who's going to be on the other Aprilia. Um, yeah. That's kind of bizarre, isn't it? We're halfway through a season and Please we're it. still talking about the 2020 Raider lineup. <laughs> um, yeah. The, from, so from what I, what we know, first of all, is that Ian only got his 18-month ban. It was backdated to the end of last season, but it is still very much in effect. However, because of the way that doping bans work in sport, it is a time ban, not a race ban. The reason that it's a time ban, the reason that the rules are written that way is that because if it is the case that you failed your drugs test for taking something accidentally, like Ianoni has, the ban is to make sure that basically you lose the benefits of the drugs that you took, whether or not you took them intentionally or accidentally. That's why he's not banned for two seasons. It's why he's banned for 18 months. Uh, there will be an appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport sometime in July before the season starts. They are very good at being aware of timing in sport. That's what they do. So they will make sure that it's heard before we go racing. But I had a long conversation the other day with Bradley Smith. And as far as he knows, he will find out whether or not he's a 2020 MotoGP rider on the day that that appeal is heard. He will be the replacement if a replacement is needed. Everyone I've spoken to in the world of doping has said Ianoni's ban should stand. They can't see CAS reverting it because of the facts of the case and the way they've dealt with previous cases. Quote of the podcast, everybody I've spoken to in the world of doping, I didn't say that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I should say anti-doping, but you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's where I got you. Never mind. Our love of cycling, but not now. Not now. Right, uh, we've got one more team to cover in the oh, shape of. Sorry, we should say Simon. before we move on from uh, Aprilia that if Iannone's ban is upheld, 
not only will he not ride for them this year, I can't see a factory team signing a rider for next season who can't do six months, which opens the door to maybe Danilo Petrucci, maybe Cal Crutchlow or someone similar. Yeah, it opens the door nicely. I think because of where Aprilia are, they will not try and bring in a rookie. They'll try and recruit an established MotoGP rider who can bring that same experience that KTM are looking for to the project and help step the bike up another level while they've got the year off to close the factory teams down. Danilo Petrucci, I apologise profusely because we didn't really talk about him with the works Ducati. You touched on him on him a little bit, but of course with the with the news that Jack Miller is taking Petrucci's seat, we must just say, although Petrucci has been overshadowed by Andrea Di Vizioso at Works Ducati, my goodness me, if you're going to win one race, win the race that Petrucci won 12 months ago at Mugello. Oh, my goodness me. I, I think my head would <laughs> fall off every time I watched the replay of that race. Um, did he hit the, hit the moon? He said, I've done it. He's reached his Everest. How can you top an Ita- your, you winning your home Grand Prix on a Ducati? Life must feel very soft after that. Exactly. If you're, you know, Danilo's not a stupid guy. He knows he's never going to be a MotoGP world champion. He knows his limitations. He knows he's a semi-regular race winner at best. And like you say, if you're going to do it, beating Mark Marquez on the last lap at Mugello on a Ducati. There better not have been a dry eye in the house. Just fantastic. So, yeah, Petrucci, I will always think you're cool. I think there's something cool about some people who only ever win one Grand Prix. There's something cool about them. Whether or not it's Petrucci, whether or not it's yeah. Laconi. Yeah, agreed. Whether or not it's Jean Lacy. They're just cool. Um, <laughs> keeping on the Ducati thread... Yeah. yeah. Let's move on, finally, to the Avintia Ducati squad. They've got uh, Johan Zarco, Tito Rabat at the moment. Uh, Zarco, that messy fallout with Red Bull KTM last season, and it was messy. We've been over that before. We don't need to go over old ground. He's going to have to reinvent himself with Avintia Ducati. Um, works money paying his wages there, Simon? Yeah, um, factory are paying his wages. Factory, it basically, he said some rather nasty things in the press about Avintia at the end of last season. Uh, said he'd never ride for them. And then it took Ducati coming in and saying, we'll invest in the team, we'll pay your wages, we'll raise the team, will you ride for them then? And that was enough to get him to come on board. And to their credit, they have done, from what I've seen so far in testing, they've done a remarkable job turning that squad around. Um, speaking of, of sort of really cool occasional race winners, they've now got Ruben Zeiss winning, running that squad, who's just doing a stellar job. You know, he's he's a proper businessman, but he's also an ex-rider. He's bringing something to the squad. They've upped their game. But arguably, Zarco's up there with Lorenzo in the people most screwed over by coronavirus category because he would have hoped by now to have done enough to establish himself to earn at least a step up to Pramac um, and a, probably a factory spec bike. But in reality, I think he's probably going to have to do another year at least at Avintia now um, before he can prove that he's worthy of that. 
unfortunately, and I'm, I'm going to hate saying this, but it's a fact and it's the truth. And the truth, if there's only one story to tell, you've got to tell it. Somebody needs to tell him to keep his mouth shut at times. Yeah. He said it. At, he said it at Red Bull KTM. He said it about Avintia before Bologna then stood in to take him into a team. If his mouth opens negatively for a third time, yeah. he's unemployable in the paddock. Agreed. You know, please keep quiet to the press. Don't say it in front of the TV cameras. <laughs> This is what I do in some media training for people. You know, keep your mouth shut. Um, and yeah, I feel sorry for him because he's a hell of a talent. My oh my. Did we all want him to win on one of those Tech 3 Yamaha rides, didn't we? Yeah, didn't of course. We? Of course. But, oh. And for a star of France and for the French to wave a flag for him and for and to see him at Le Mans and all the crowd cheering and singing the Marseillaise, fantastic. Yeah. Keep your mouth shut, mate. <laughs> funny, funny story about him uh, keeping his mouth shut. Um, I, <laughs> I wrote a story uh, around this time last year to say that Honda World Superbike were interested in him, just as the KTM fallout started to show. And at his, uh, the story was then rewritten by the World Superbike website, who mistranslated it into Zarco wants to go and ride for Honda World Superbikes, which is obviously very different from. Honda World Superbikes wants Arco to go ride for them. And at his next media scrum, which I wasn't at, he took great pleasure in telling all of the journalists that it was a complete bullshit story and whoever wrote it deserved to be fired. And then, uh, actually, that was my last weekend working for MCN before going to work for Petronas Yamaha and Carl Crutchlow decided to start the rumour that Zarko had had me fired. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's just another example of it's not a way to make friends. Sometimes you need friends in the paddock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've all got to get on. We've all got to get on. Of course there's going to be a rock in the road now and again. Of course there is, you know. yeah. I was saying to somebody earlier today, you know, about Mick Doohan, everybody got micked. Now and again, (laughs) everybody got micked. That was the expression, copyright Matt Oxley, that it'd bite your head off. Uh, and I got micked in the middle of the Saxon Ring press office, which in those days was a tent. The first year we went to the Saxon Ring in 98 and somebody took a picture. Somebody took a picture of Mick from the front of Mick, but the back of my head. His <laughs> eyes were the size of the state of Victoria. <laughs> I thought he was going to hit me. He was absolutely up the wall. But... You know, Oxley had it, Scotty had it, Julian had it. We all had it over the years. We all had it over the years. And when they stop, they mellow and they ease out. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Yeah, everybody got micked. Copyright, Oxley. Yeah, I love that one. I love that one. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But but Johan, you know, and, and and the reason I'm quite surprised about him opening his mouth and moaning about the KTM in front of the cameras and then moaning about Avintia. He's a, he's a lovely soul. He's a very gentle soul yeah. in normal life. And yeah. yet, he, he just goes off. He just has it. these yeah. moments, doesn't he? Mm. I mean, you know, I know that Gibbonow used his crash helmet as a bowling ball now and again. But that was in a yes. test and it was a bit quiet yeah. and there's no cameras there. Of course people get a bit ratty. Of course there are words behind closed doors, but try and keep it behind closed doors. Difficult. And and there's a lot to be said for, you know, we've seen Quadraro. Fabio tends to have quite a short temper if something goes wrong 
on the bike and he'll punch the screen and he'll lose his temper and he'll shout and wave his arms. And then by the time he gets back to the garage, it's fine. And no one holds it against him because it's heat of the moment. Yeah. Stoner got fined at Le Mans for kicking De Pounier after the warm-up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In 2011. But, yeah. you know, five grand... 10 grand, whatever it was, can't remember, <laughs> you know, and then he's fine. He's fine, you know, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, whenever you're, whenever you're doing it in a Thursday media scrum, it's not quite the same thing, is it? It's not quite the same thing. Okay. We are oh, a little bit, oh, sorry, Simon. Let's just wrap up by saying that the only satellite rider that has a contract for 2021 already is Tito Rabat <laughs> on the second of India bike. Just to round out the grid nicely. Just to round out the grid. And who knows what the number of races we will have in 2020 will be. Who knows where we are going to start. We are planning, heavily penciled at least, to start at Jerez at the end of July. But Dorna, the FIM, they're working hard with the Spanish authorities to make it safe, to make a bubble, essentially, of the paddock and the riders and the teams and the limit of number of people involved in a, in a MotoGP team now to 40 people travelling with said team. Not an easy process. I, I do have my sympathy for them to try and work it out, but fingers crossed and we'll know where we're at with 2020. That's it. Let's see what happens. Let's see where we can get some racing underway. Simon Patterson, thank you so much for joining us here on another MotoGP podcast for the race. Do like and subscribe to these podcasts and do keep in touch with the-race.com for Simon's latest news as and when it happens. He's a whiz on the keyboards and it doesn't take long for a story to be up on the website for from the world of MotoGP. So we now look forward to our next MotoGP podcast uh, Neil Spaulding and I have got something up our sleeve. Neil and I have also been talking about the 2006 season and how Nicky Hayden won the MotoGP World Championship. We've also talked about how Casey Stoner won his second MotoGP Championship, which was in, uh, in 2011, which was on a Honda after his first one on a Ducati, and how Honda made that happen. So do go back through the archive of podcasts that we've got here, wherever you get your podcasts from. Once again, Simon, thank you very much. Pleasure as always. In the meantime, from myself, Toby Moody, it's goodbye. <laughs>